Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Matthew. St. Matthew's Gospel. Beginning in the 13th chapter. <laughs> Matthew 13. Verse 23. Where we going to go? Matthew 13, verse 23. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, truly let us hear. Let us hear your word. Let us be instructed by you, God. Stir our hearts. Exhort us, Father God, to love you and love you more, to love your people, Father God, and to do good unto all who we can, Father God. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen. Matthew 13, verse 23. Verse 23 says, but he that received the seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some one hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. That's a very famous parable, the parable of the sower. And today we're just going to take this last little piece of it about he that received the word into good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. So what we're going to wrestle with a little bit, hopefully briefly, is try to unfold what is this good ground. How do we prepare our hearts and have our hearts to be good ground to receive the word? Now right here in the verse, he gives us a brief definition of the good ground. Matthew 13, verse 23. 13, verse 23. When it says, but he that received the seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. So the first two characteristics of the good ground that he gives us is one that hears the word and one that understands it. So you hear the word and you understand it. Now, for the first part, that seems to be pretty easy. Hear the word. Mr. Aaron, what are some ways we can hear the word? Ways we can hear the word. Reading it. Through preaching. Happenstance. Oh, dang, good <laughs> so you got reading it and hearing it. That's that's all you got. How many of you by show of hands think there's more ways to hear the word than reading and hearing? I mean reading it and hearing somebody else preach it. And witnessing. Oh, you saying it? Scratch that. He still ain't got but two. He thought he had enough. How many think there's other ways for us to hear the word? Other than reading it and hearing somebody else preach. Anybody got something else? What? Praying for God to give you a word? Well, they ain't hearing. That's hoping to hear. Anybody got any other ways? <laughs> yeah, and you saying it. So reading it, somebody else saying it, and you saying it. These really are all the ways I can think of that you can hear the word. But now, if the good ground is a ground that hears the word, and the only way we can hear it is through reading it, and one form of reading it to make sure you hear it is to do what? Something we don't do. One form of hearing it through reading it is what? Saying it out loud. You talk to yourself, why you can't preach to yourself? You read it. Open up your Bible and read the word of God. This is getting the good ground. Just, just read. And one way to make sure you're hearing it through reading it is to be systematic in your reading. What I mean by that is sometimes in our reading of the word of God, 
we go purely by what Aaron said, happenstance. We got a verse for the day, uh, a little piece of something, and there is no connection. So we don't completely hear what it is that God is saying because we only take bits and pieces of it. You might read a verse one day, read three verses. Then you hear somebody say something, you ride and see a tag, Galatians 5.20, what that is? Let me look that up. And I read my verse for the day. (laughs) But to truly benefit from it, we need to read it consistently and read it systematically. That you add to your reading, you add to your comprehension when you read it. Because God wrote a book. And each book is an individual book. It's not a whole bunch of verses. These things, we got chapters and verses. Some dude, a long time ago, I think like the 1300s, made these up. Before then, there was no such thing as the 13th chapter of Matthew. It was just St. Matthew's Gospel. And to know what he said in 13, you had to read the whole thing. Because <laughs> you just couldn't, couldn't find it. But we have allowed... The dude did a good job. I, th- I think it's beneficial what he did. The dude, a couple hundred years after him, added the verses. And I think it came together to be a pretty good thing. But it has messed up our mind... So we think that by reading portions and reading chapters, we getting what God has said. Because God didn't reveal these words in chapters and verses. He revealed the entire thing. Matthew's gospel is an entire letter sent to a people to be read and understood as a letter. Like I said, if somebody, those of you old enough to receive mail and have people write you, when you, you did your little boyfriend or girlfriend thing, y'all wrote your little notes and folded all the funny ways and put all the hearts all on it. You ain't open it and see them five pages and just read the top part. See, it's folded right here, so that's one portion. And you read that, and I read my love letter for the day. How many of you ever done that before? Somebody wrote you a letter, and you just read the top little piece of it. You said, dear my baby, I really been thinking about you. I remember the last time we talked. Then you stopped. I read my verse for the day. <laughs> that seemed quite crazy though. To be content with just reading a portion of a letter and think that you did your heart some good because you read your verse for the day. But that's one way that we treat the word of God which decreases our benefit from it because tomorrow when we show up with our minds being so messed up that we can't hold on, we can't retain, we can't focus. You forgot what you read the day before. And then you read another little piece of verse that come from 10 books away that dealing with a whole nother thing. And it makes no sense. And now you got your one little other verse for today. And you can do this for years and years and never have an understanding or a comprehension of what it is that God has revealed. You don't see how one piece matched to the other piece. You don't see the volume of revelation. And so you can't benefit from all the nuances of scripture because you, you don't know the story. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? So that's how we decrease our ability to benefit because we ain't heard it. So we need to read it. We need to allow it to be played. We got tapes, CDs, MP3s, DVDs, all these things, messages everywhere. Where people are saying and reciting the word of God. Let's let that stuff play. Let's obey Deuteronomy. Where it talks about us speaking to it. Day and night. When we rise. When we get down. To have it upon our lips. To tell it to our children. These are ways that we get it in us. Are y'all with me? So we need to hear the word of God. And he added a little extra thing on that. It said and understand it. Now that's the hard part. You got to hear it. And understand it. But they go hand in hand because understanding and comprehension comes from knowing the whole picture. Are y'all, you you get what I'm saying? It's hard to understand a piece of a conversation. You don't know what they're talking about. But as you read along with your studying, it gives you a flow of what is going on and you can see how things connect and you can see how things relate and it increases your ability to understand. So when we read our Bibles, we're not only supposed to be reading, just to be reading and trying to get a motivational word, but understanding is a key part 
for this heart being good ground. Now, actually, when we go back, we'll look at it. If you flash back to the beginning of the parable, he said the seed that the devil come and take it away is the seed that we don't understand. And that's why we do church the way that we do. That we allow questions and answers so that comprehension can take place. Because we all come from different cultures. We all come from different backgrounds. Certain words mean certain things to certain people. So you might miss something. So for your ability to be able to say, hey, what you mean when you say? And we can dialogue because understanding is the most important thing. And all you're getting, get understanding. This is preparing your heart to be good ground. So you need to read it. You need to hear it. And you need to make sure you're understanding. Are y'all with me? Let's flip to the book of Psalms. And David going to give us an example of another thing we do to be good ground. So that we can benefit from these good old Bible. The word of God. Psalms 119. Psalms 119. Let me just do a small little portion. Verse 17. Psalms 119, verse 17. It says, Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Now we're talking about one way that you benefit is through understanding. Watch what David did. We learn it here through example. Said, deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. What is David doing? Huh? What'd you say? He's praying. This dude wrote scripture. He was a mouthpiece of God. But here as a mouthpiece of God, he is praying that God open up his eyes and give him understanding to behold wondrous things out of the law. And the way my logic works, if God can take a man and use him to speak scripture, and that man need to pray to God to understand the scripture, what about a little bit old dude like myself? I think it'll be helpful for me to approach the heart, the word of God with a heart of prayer. Are you with me? So when you read, pray. Ask God to give you revelation. Ask God to give you understanding. Ask God to open up your mind to comprehend what it is that he's saying. And be bold enough to wait and allow God to speak. Because a lot of us cheat. I've done it myself. You read Bible, it don't make sense. And you be like, man, I wonder what they mean. Then you immediately go to somewhere else and for them to tell you what it means. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? You read, like, man, God, I don't understand that. God, you don't have to help me. And you close your Bible and you go pick up a commentary or you go find something on the internet. You go to Google. <laughs> but I'm not saying there's anything wrong with commentaries. But what I'm driving at is the heart. Is that you pray to God and immediately you go to somebody else. Give God a chance and opportunity to, to, to pour into you. Give God a chance and an opportunity to open up your mind for you to have a thought and an idea about what's going on. Trust that God can reveal to you what it is that he's saying. You have the ability to understand. And if you don't have the ability to understand, God has the ability to make you understand. He can do it. When Peter got the revelation that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, what did Jesus tell him? Flesh and blood ain't revealed this unto you, but it was revealed to you by my father, which is in heaven. So in the eyes of Jesus, it's possible for God to directly reveal something to you without you even being conscious of it. So if he can do that with Peter, why can't he do it with you? And at the time that this took place, Peter didn't have no Holy Spirit. You got the spirit of the living God living in you. You have the mind of Christ. So God has the ability to unfold, to open up the word of God to you. In praying and reading the word of God with a prayer for spirit, a prayer for heart, prepares your heart to be good ground so that you can benefit from it. Because that's the way that you get understanding. Are y'all tracking with me? 
So you need to hear it. Keep on hearing it. Understand it. The thing that will help you understand it is prayer. Go to Matthew again. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 20. I'll read a little bit on this one. Because I like the context. Matthew 11 verse 20. Says, then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. This is Jesus. He's speaking heavy. Jesus must then understand that God is love. <laughs> he, he, he heavy to the mud. What he's doing is, these are cities that he's visited. Chorazin, Bethsaida. And he did all type of crazy miracles in these places. And these people would not believe that he was the Christ. And so what he's doing in this place is he's casting judgment on these cities. And he make references to two cities that was destroyed in the Old Testament. Tyre and Sidon. Tyre, God prophesied about them in the book of Isaiah. He said that they will be cast down to the point where the people who come and raid the town will scrape the very rocks into the sea. And it will be just a flat stone left. No city would remain. That's the type of judgment that he put under those cities. So God was really upset with Tyre and Sidon. He, he equated the prince of Tyre, the king of it, with Satan himself. In Isaiah 14, this, this, this God mind to these people. And what Jesus is saying, for these people, these wicked people, people who king was equivalent to Satan in the eyes of Jesus, they gonna have it better in the day of judgment than Chorazin and Bethsaida. Like, it's gonna be gravy for them. Like, when y'all go to judgment, it's gonna be bad. This is the mind and the heart that Jesus has towards these people because they would not repent at his mighty words. And what he's saying is, if I would have gave them people a chance to see the things that y'all seen, they would have been repenting. They didn't get it, but y'all got it. And you still persist in your wickedness. So it's going to be worse. We bring that up another time. In 23, and thou Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have been remained until this day. That's, that's pretty deep. Going to Capernaum. The same thing. So Jesus is upset with these people because they wouldn't repent. And he cast in heavy judgment unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Like Sodom and Gomorrah would have still been around if I would have showed them what I showed y'all. But y'all got it and y'all are wicked. So when the day of judgment comes, it's going to be more tolerable for them than it was for y'all. Just think about how he judged Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire and brimstone coming from heaven. Just raining down. Ladies, babies, children, calves and goats been destroyed. Rocks of fire. Yes, he mean. <laughs> that was pretty tough judgment. But it's going to be better for them than it will be better for them than it will be for Capernaum. And watch this. Jesus in the midst of this scolding, it says, at this time, Jesus answered and said. So he getting on them. Watch the switch. It said, I thank thee. Jesus just started praying. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Check, check the prayer of Jesus. We're going to try to keep it in context here so you really get the weight of it. He said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Now, Jesus in the midst of these people, he got Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, all these cities that Jesus went to with all these religious leaders, the people who got the word of God, the people who preaching and teaching and leading the people. And they're in a position where God is casting judgment on them. And in the midst of his casting judgment on them, he stand up and start praying. And the thing that he begins to pray is that he thank God that God has revealed his word unto babes and not unto the wise and prudent. 
Now, do you think with Jesus speaking the way that he spoke, that he really believed these people were wise? Just think about it. God himself manifests to you, display to you his godness, and you refuse to believe. How prudent are you? God himself do things nobody else has done on this planet before your eyes, and you reject him as a devil. How prudent are you? You can't be that wise. When a dude can stand in front of you in the midst of you, preaching and proclaiming the very scriptures you claim to believe and telling you these things are revealed in your sight, in your hearing, and then show you that he revealing them. And able to point to you where you get it from and where you need to understand it from. And the best thing you can say is you're a devil. Your disciples don't wash their hands. You, you, you ain't that wise. You're a hard-hearted fool is what you literally are. Because you are not even humble enough to, 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 hey, to do like Nicodemus and go, hey man, I got some questions. Because to see displayed the power of God by a dude who's living an impeccable life and pointing you back to the God of heaven and earth and explaining himself through scripture, that should at least make you scratch your head like it may be something to this dude. And this ain't no regular dude. I need to figure out what's going on. But they were so hardened in themselves, they were so hardened in their position that they refused to break, that they refused to bend, that they refused to believe. They would not repent. So when Jesus thanked God that he re- didn't reveal it to the wise and to the prudent, he wasn't being truthful he was being sarcastic so jesus description here of the wise and the prudent is them people who think they wise and who think they're prudent and allow their understanding of what is right what is wrong what is indifference to harden them from a true revelation of who god is and that is a heart that we cannot have and consider ourselves to be christians and consider ourselves to be good ground fruitful ground for the word of god You can't think that you know it all. You can't believe that the way that you've been taught, the way that you've been trained is the right way and can't nobody tell you different. You have to have a humility that allows you to humble yourself and be taught. But to be taught by the word of God. These people could not be instructed. We can't be those type of people. And to show you a place where I see that consistently in us and ourselves we don't see it like them. So they were just hard. And they refused to believe. They just refused. to. They denied Christ directly in his face. Called him a devil and all that other stuff. But where do we do it? We do it. We show this hardness. We show this wisdom and this prudence. That gets you condemned. When it comes to identity. We got the reverse pride. Because when most of us think of pride. We think of the macho man. Walk around, can't nobody tell him nothing. Who think the world revolve around him. Every time something going on, he the one that got to speak. He going to correct everything. Can't no preacher preach to him because he know more than that. That's what we think about when we think about pride. The one that can't nobody tell me nothing. Who we often overlook when we think about pride is the one that we categorize as having low self-esteem. The down, the depressed person. The person who don't think much of themselves. We don't equate pride with those people. But they are very prideful. That's how they get in the position that they're in. Because the whole world is against me. Everything going wrong. And there's no way it can be fixed. This just the way it is. That's some foolish pride. And we manifest that when we believe things about ourselves that is contrary to what God has revealed into us. And when God show us differently, we still think the way that we always thought. We think we know we better than God know we. That's wise foolishness. You are a sophomore. 
You don't know what that word means, do <laughs> That's what we are. We sophomores. Because we have identity, we have perception, and we know who we are. We know what our, our likes are, we know what our dislikes are, we know what our abilities are, we know how far we can go, what we can and cannot do, and when God tells us otherwise, we be just like Corazine and Beth Satan. And the amazing thing is, is I can lump myself in this category too, but God breaking me out of it. Is God can sh- show you and use you to do different than what you thought. And you still think the same thing. You're like, I can't do this, 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 this. And one day you do it. Then you get another chance to do it and you say the same thing. I can't do that. <laughs> That's that lack of humility. You got it? Nope. <laughs> no. But that's where we are. <laughs> huh? You get it later. <laughs> so what we have to do to truly benefit from the word of God is humble our hearts. We have to have that humility. We have to have that babe-like mentality to where we're willing to be instructed, that we're willing to turn, that we're willing to humble ourselves even in our perception of ourselves. God can tell you who you are and be willing to humble yourself and say, maybe I don't understand me. Are you are, are you tracking with me? Because it's easy for us to see it in the other ways. It's easy for us to see it in the people out there who just deny everything. I don't care about that Jesus stuff. I know. That, that's hard to understand. But we don't see that same spirit of pride, that same heart of rebellion, that same stiff-neckedness when we see our hurt, when we see our pain, and we see this low self-esteem and this, we just, I, I, I just can't do it. I can't. And then God says, you can. And you be like, I know, but I can't. <laughs> Stop it. You're not wiser than God. If he said you could do it, it may he know a little bit more than you know. Because when I ask you why you do stuff, you be like, I don't know. So that show me you don't understand you. <laughs> So let God understand you. Nobody know the heart better than the one who made it, who gave it to you, who looked at it, who weighed it. He said he weighs it in the balance. How many times have you tested your heart? Not many. You just do what it say. So let the one who tested it, let the one who speak to it, let the one who made it determine what it is and what it can and cannot do. All right? Let's go. And this is going to add to that. Go to the book of John. John chapter 7. We're trying to be good ground. John chapter 7. Verse 16. All right, let's start at verse 14. There's Jesus breaking it down again. So we learned a lot from him scolding people. So now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and talked. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? They're like, how do you know how to read? He ain't never been to kindergarten. <laughs> and Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine. So Jesus like the teaching that I'm teaching you. It ain't mine. I ain't make this stuff up. But it is that sent me. And if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. That's, that's pretty, this pretty heavy doctrine right here. Said, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So in the mind of Jesus, to know the word of God spoken, you need to be willing to do what God wants. That's, that's some heavy doctrine. To know what God says, you need to be willing to do what God wants. I was listening to this preacher, old guy. He told this story about a, a young lady. Says she's been going to church, various churches. Every time they had a big evangelistic meeting, she would go, responding to all the altar calls, 
every time. And she testified that she gave up on, on God and gave up on Christianity. That stuff ain't real because she went to all these preachers, big time evangelists. Everybody prayed for her. She went to every altar call and tried to be a Christian and nothing ever changed. It's like it was the same. Nothing ever changed. And then she, after a long while of not going, she said a friend convinced us to go to see this one preacher. And he preaching and said he was laying it down. And after he was done, she went up to him after the service and was like, preacher, I don't like you. And the man said, he asked her why. Like, what I do? It's like, you made me want to be a Christian again. And he looked like you looking. Like, okay. And she explained her story that she'd been to all these evangelistic meetings. She'd go from tent to tent, from revival to revival, trying to be a Christian. And nothing ever changed. And it never worked. So she stopped. But hearing him preach, she said she wanted to be a Christian again. She's like, but nobody could help me. And he asked her one question. And I believe the Spirit of God may be speaking to her. He said, he looked at her and said, who do you live with? She's like, my boyfriend. We've been together for this and this, 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 this time. It's like, if you want to be a Christian, you have to leave him. And he said, she responded, ain't nobody ever tell me that before. And he responded, well, you just told me, couldn't nobody help you. (laughs) So if you really want to please God, either he marries you or you leave him. And he said, that little girl walked out of there upset and mad. And he never knew what happened to her because she was completely put off about him telling her if she really want to be a Christian, she need to leave that man because he loved her. But the reason I bring this up is because there's a lot of people who claim to believe the Bible who want to obey it, who want to get close to God, who want to go to heaven, but they have categories in their lives that no matter what the Bible says, they ain't going to do it. I know of people who I have shown things through in the Bible. They come asking me questions. I wasn't trying to talk. But they asked me something, I showed them what the Bible said, and they get responses like, Okay, I can't do that. Oh, that can't be true. You read it with your own eyes. When your heart is so hardened that you will not obey, you cannot benefit. You can read your Bible all you want to, but unless you have a heart to do what it says, you will not benefit from what it says. Are are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And we cannot allow categories of people to trick us and deceive us to thinking that we can have portions of the Bible that we obey and portions that don't apply because it's outdated. I'm saying that the old stuff. I'm saying back in the Bible day, people people could sleep, go and not sleep around because it was different back then. But this is the 21st century. I'm saying you you just gotta have sex. That was the, the, the 21st century. They're different. It was different in the Bible days. That's what people say. Like I say, in the Bible days, you know what I'm saying? You really couldn't get no divorce. But now we're in, we in a new age. We're in a new world. You know what I'm saying? God, God understands my heart. God wants me to be happy. People say, you, you, people say stuff like that. So they're willing to disobey God thinking they're obeying God. Then they get frustrated because they don't benefit. They don't grow. They don't see the fruits of the word manifested in their life. That church ain't no, it's humdrum, it's boring. They ain't get nothing out of it. And they've been trying to be a Christian and they can't overcome because you ain't been trying to be a Christian. You've been trying to be you. And Christianize yourself. You can't do that. You don't Christian yourself. You allow Jesus to transform you 
So you can't take your line, adultery, murder, and fornication and put a little Jesus on it, go to church, pay a cup of tithe, and think that you're cool. When we go to the Bible, if we want to understand it, if we want to see the all of God revealed, we have to be willing to obey it. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to read in verse 19. Say, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. So he he combine a couple of them like we said. So you lay aside, that sounds like the same thing Peter said. All this filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, that's just that bad, bad stuff. That's that stuff that's all deep down in you. Put that stuff to the side. Like when, if any of you worked at a fast food restaurant when they don't clean them nozzles and you take that thing off, it got all type of black and brown and funny looking stuff up in there. That's the superfluity of naughtiness of your soul. <laughs> I'm saying that'll get you a failing score on the health code. <laughs> so when Jesus come to rate your soul and see the fittedness for his dwelling, you'll feel Heaven's health inspection. When you got that superfluity of naughtiness all up in the nozzles. Dang what we talking about. <laughs> and it says, when you lay apart all that stuff, you receive, how do you receive it? With meekness. So you humble yourself and you receive the engrafted word, that word that has been sown in into your soul. That word, that engrafted word, that word that is sown in, that word that has been sown and made a part of your soul, you receive it with meekness and it's able to save your soul. But watch this. He had a but. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So in the mind of James, I need to lay aside all my naughtiness and receive the word of God with meekness. So I humble myself and receive the word of God. Then he felt the need to explain. Like, but don't, don't get me twisted. Make sure you understand what I'm talking about. Be a doer of this word. So in the mind of James, it's possible for people to think that they receiving the word of God without doing it. And he said, if you got that mindset, you are deceiving yourself. So you put yourself in a state of deception, thinking that you're something that you're not, if you're hearing the word, but not willing to do it. Everything we hear, we need to be anticipating, ready to get it done. All of it. Because if you're not a doer of it, what he said? Say, you're deceiving your own self. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgeteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continued therein, he being a not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. So the person that's going to be blessed in his going, the person that's going to be blessed in his doing, is the person that looked into the perfect law of liberty, referring to the word of God, and began to do and apply what they got out of it. So when you hear, humble yourself and understand that God know better than you. So even if what he's saying don't sound like what it's supposed to be, you stay humble. And in that humility, you get ready to act. Because if brother Jay is telling me something. And he's breaking it all the way down to me. He sat down with me and used all his good time. Let's say it's something easy. Let's say he's helping me with my budget. And I'd be like, Jay, you the man. You got the money wisdom. So I need you to help me get my stuff right. Because I want to be like you when I grow up. And be like, cool. Call me. And I call him. And we sit down and he tell me all this stuff. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that, that's it right now. I see that, man. That, you got it. Then I go home to my wife and be like, man, Jay said, will you pay our house off and get out of debt? I ain't got to do but one thing. She's like, what's that? 
Cancel my league pass. These mother don't know I got to see my Knicks, man. <laughs> Tripping. <laughs> man, what not? They don't show the Knicks down here. Now I'm going to see RJ if I cancel the league pass. I know we're going to lose, but I, I got to see it. Now, how many of you think I'm going to benefit for that hour that Jay spent with me? I ain't going to get no fruit from it. And I can even go to a follow-up meeting and sit down and hear it again. And he could tell me, oh, man, you're making progress, but I, I, I see you, you still got your lead pass. I'll be like, yeah, man, you know, I really need to do that. I'm saying that's that like $200, man. I, I, really, I can save a whole lot of money if I do that. Yeah. And then I go home and watch my Knicks. <laughs> How fast do you think I'm going to progress in the plan of Jay? Not at all. And then the crazy thing will happen. I'm going to stop calling him. And I'm going to be like, hey, Eric, man, what's up, man? I see you be over that DNA. You know Jay? Hey, yeah, man. That brother cool, man. He, he all right. He know a little something about that money stuff, man. But that joke ain't really ain't help me, man. I'm saying. <laughs> that joke ain't help me, man. I've been trying to do that joke. Hey, hey, I'm still where I was, man. I waste my time. I spent two hours with this joker. <laughs> I'm saying, I ain't get nothing, man. I don't know. That brother, he be putting on, man. He, he, he really ain't like he say. I mean, y'all think, can you imagine somebody doing that? <laughs> people do it all the time. Like, man, people, and we do stuff, crazy stuff. I'm saying, like, we, we buy the P90X. You know what I'm saying? We sit down, read the kit. I done done it. I ain't like the rest of them. I don't just buy it and get the DVD. I sit down, I read the book. I go through, check it out. I learned the meaning of calisthenics. I was like, I had to look that up. Try to figure this thing out. Get all the equipment. Understand it. Make sure I digest it. Read it multiple times. Read the fine print on the bottom of the DVD. Understand the copyrights and everything on that thing. But I never lift a weight. Or if I do lift a weight, I do it one time. When the program told me I'm supposed to do this six days a week and rest on one. And I'd be like, man, you see what I'm going to do? I'm going to do it on Mondays. Then, oh, no, no, I got all. I'm saying Tuesday. That when the basketball game come on, I'm saying I need to be rested for that. I'm saying, plus I got white clothes, so I ain't going to do it on Tuesday. Friday we go out. I can't do it on Friday. Saturday, that, uh, uh, I can't do that. Saturday, man, I got to, I got to go down to the barber shop. Sunday, see that's church day. You can't do no exercise on Sunday, so I'm gonna do it Monday, Wednesday. We got Bible study, I ain't gonna have time, so I'm just gonna do it Monday, Thursday. I gotta help the children with their homework, okay? Cause we do spelling tests on Friday. <laughs> So I can do it Monday. Now, how many of you think that I'm going to be walking around here looking like Tony, Tony Horton when I'm 50? Ain't going to happen. Because this dude ain't got no job but to exercise and sell DVDs to people who exercise. While I halfway do it one day. Then after doing it about four weeks, I'll be like, man, this junk don't work. I thought you're supposed to get better the more you do it. I still can't do but 10 push-ups. And I've been doing it for a whole month. <laughs> I ain't getting no benefit. Because I'm willing to hear it. I'm willing to understand it. I'm willing to comprehend. I'm willing to even say they know what they're talking about. I'm willing to pay money to bring it into my house. But I'm not willing to do what it says. 
Or if I do do it, I have to modify it to fit what I think is to be right. So I don't get the benefit from it because I ain't doing what it says. And it works the same way with the word of God. If we can disobey Jay and suffer consequence for it, how much more if we disobey God? I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet I put a cold soul on it that God is wiser than Jay. And I'm willing to bet I put a case of sodas on it that God knows more about me than Tony Horton know about exercise. But if I can disobey Tony and Jay and see ill effects in me how much greater would the ill effects be if I'm willing to disregard the word of God and let's flash back to tie this thing all the way in now Jesus made a crazy statement when he was rebuking them people go back let me let you put your eyes on because I bet you missed it Matthew chapter 11 Matthew chapter 11 Matthew chapter 11 verse 20 Matthew 11, verse 20. Watch this. See if y'all caught it. It says, Then began he to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. So why did he upbraid the cities? Anybody catch? Why, why, why did he upbraid them? Huh? They did not repent. Y'all, y'all see that? Then he began to upbraid the cities because they repented not. Now, there's this amazing thing that happens in the Bible. I want you to check it out. Just read your Gospels. You'll see it. Jesus was a preacher. How many of you think there are preachers better than Jesus? All right. Don't nobody think that. So Jesus was a preacher. Jesus was an evangelist. How many of you think there are some evangelists better than Jesus? Don't nobody think that. Jesus had a ministry. How many of you think people got a better ministry than Jesus had? Don't nobody think that. Jesus was a preacher evangelist with a ministry. And this preaching evangelist with a ministry began his ministry doing one thing. He walked around telling people they need to repent. Now hold up. That ain't the gospel. Like Jesus must be wrong. He must have, he didn't read Paul. Jesus didn't understand grace because when he began his ministry he walked around telling people to repent over and over again repent for the kingdom of God is at hand Jesus threatened people they come to Jesus telling him the news I'm saying Jesus was on Peter and them was on Facebook they had the Jerusalem city watch they be like Jesus man you, you saw that thing on Facebook about the, the tower falling on the people Jesus one more when I been on Facebook because he like he, it wasn't no big deal to him, and he they telling him the news of what's going on in the streets and all he got to say is, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That deep. If Brother Jay did that, we would cast him down as being a judgmental, hypocritical, uppity Negro. Anybody think that? You'd be like Jay man on Facebook. This dude was speeding, lost control of his car, and hit a tree. And Jay be like, unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. <laughs> 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 you won't talk to him. <laughs> you won't talk to him no more. You won't tell him no more news. <laughs> but that's what Jesus did. So Jesus seemed to have this understanding of the gospel that repentance is a part of it. And the deal I want you to understand is that is true. Repentance is an integral part of the gospel. And you cannot be a believer if you're not repentant. You cannot be a Christian if you have not repented. And you cannot 
say that you're following the Bible if you have not repented because what the Bible requires us to do is different from how we were raised and different from how we think, different from how we feel. So in order for me to truly benefit from it, I have to be willing to repent. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So if I really want my heart to be good ground, I need to hear it. Keep on hearing it. Hear it over and over again. And in that hearing, I need to pray to God to give me some understanding. In praying to God to give me some understanding, I have to humble myself enough to where I'm willing to hear God overhearing me. And I'm willing to accept that he know better than I know. But in accepting that he know better than I know, I'm willing to have to be willing to do what it says. And unless I got all those things working in congruence, I don't benefit. I won't bring forth no fruit, 60, 30, 100 fold. Are you with me? And the last thing we need, 1 John chapter 2, to complete it all. One we reference quite often. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, we're just going to read verse 20 for time. It says, but you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. So this is John. He's writing to his people. He said, the reason I'm writing these words is to unto you because you have an unction and you know it. So the word of God is to the people of God, and the people of God benefit from it because they have an unction. They have received an anointing from God that helps them to know all things. Are y'all with me? Because it is only by the Spirit of God that we can truly hear what God is saying. It is only by the Spirit of God that we can understand what God is saying. The Spirit of God helps us in our infirmities and teaches us how to pray. It's the Spirit of God that humbles us in our lives and reveals to us who we truly are. And it's only by the Spirit of God that we can do what God says. Are y'all with me? So the only way we can truly be good ground is be a ground that is filled with the Spirit. And if we truly feel with the spirit, allowing the spirit to lead us and guide us, all those things that we went over will be true. Anybody got any questions? Just by saying hallelujah, does that mean that you're praising him? Just by saying hallelujah, does that mean that you're praising him? Yes, if you mean it. Hallelujah means praise you the Lord. So if you really mean and declaring that you're praising you the Lord, yes, you are. Do wise men sin? Do wise men sin? Wise men can sin, but wise men are people who yield themselves to the heart of God, so they shouldn't sin. Because they believe in Jesus and the Spirit of God is leading them. That's the only true wise man. Who is the Messiah? Jesus Christ. Are God serving humans or doves? Humans are doves. Doves? are not servants, doves are birds, but God can use them to do stuff. Humans are servants of God if they yield themselves to God. But then you got angels and cherubims and all those things, they're servants of God. So everything that obey God is a servant of God. But most time when it talks about his servants, it's talking about us, regular old human people. One more. Does all Christians go to heaven? Do all Christians go to heaven? Yes. Do you know what chapters talk about the rapture? What chapters talk about the rapture? You got books, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, mainly. Were God's parables true like the sons in the vineyard? What say now? Like, were God's parables true like about the humans? Like the sons in the vineyard? What sons in the vineyards? I'm trying to think of what you're talking about. The parable about the man who had a vineyard and he put someone in charge of it. And he, by his signs. Oh, okay. Uh, did that truly happen? We don't know because he used it. He, he calls it a parable. So it could have just been a story that Jesus was using to preach a point. But what it teaches is about Jesus as the Messiah and going to the Jews that he sent prophets and they killed the prophets those were the servants that he sent and then finally he sent his own son and they killed his son so when the owner of the vineyard come back he's going to judge those people so that was the point of the parable was Noah's son Japheth a judge was he a judge like in the book of judges no 
But was there a judge named Japheth? I think so. What is the Babylonian exile? The Babylonian exile. That's when the Jews got kicked out into Babylon. When Nebuchadnezzar came and took over the city. In the rapture, if you get taken, will your clothes be left behind? I have no idea. That's how it is on the movie. (laughs) (laughs) If you're proud of yourself, are you prideful? If you're proud of yourself, are you prideful? It depends on what you mean. That's, That's a very good question. There's a sense of of feeling a level of accomplishment and thankfulness that we can refer to it as being proud of something. There's a sense of of respect and awe. And when we look back at something we've done that we refer to as being pride. But all of those things are not equivalent, if you understand what I'm saying. So to feel a sense of accomplishment, to feel a sense of awe that I did a great job, that's not necessarily pride. We use that word to describe it, but it's not the equivalent to the biblical word. The biblical word would be, oh, that level of pride would be elevating it beyond its level of goodness and beyond your true ability and what you achieve and knocking down everything that helped went into it. Like Tupac saying in me against the world. Like, you're a lie. I'm saying you you rap, you did pretty good, but other folks made beats. You have dude in there recording it, going over and doing all your mistakes. You lying when it says you against the world. It's you, them producers, and all the people who gave you money, and all the people who bought your album, <laughs> all them people who opened up venues to you and drove you around and flew airplanes. All is you and all them folks against the world. <laughs> if someone slaps you in class, do you turn the other cheek or do you tell the teacher? You do both of them. By turning the other cheek, that means that you don't respond in kind. So that means you don't slap them back. But hopefully you could do like my dad used to tell me and block the lick. <laughs> That's what he always said. I go, my brother hit me. Why you ain't block the lick? <laughs> Is backsliding real? Is backsliding real? Yes. What backsliding means is if you ease back into the old life that you did before you knew Christ. It's slowly turning away from God. Is everybody blood related to Adam and Eve? Huh? Is everybody blood related to Adam and Eve? Yes. Can you do a class? Can I do a class? Mm-hmm. On what? For kids about future. Okay. Like I jobs. Can- Homes, colleges, money. Yeah, Jay gonna do that. Okay. <laughs> and you can talk to Justin about your other thing you said you want to do. Because he's been there. That's it? Got one right. You got like really old questions? I'm pretty sure all questions are probably old. <laughs> <laughs> um and John dang I don't even know what chapter this is. Eighteen verse thirty one. Um it says, Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. And they talk about Jesus or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I just didn't get it because they put people to death. Yes, so why did. is it like not lawful for them to do it? They couldn't truly put Jesus to death because, one, they didn't have enough witnesses. And, two, they didn't already skirted justice. The, the, the hearings and the way they brought Jesus to justice was against all the laws. So they didn't have the standing. And for one to understand, I have to look into it again. I think there were certain rules and jurisdictions set up by Rome that limited their power. So they didn't have true freedom to move and execute as a pure Sanhedrin. So they wanted Jesus to hang and they wanted to get him done and right then they couldn't do that. He had to be tried at 
and condemned at the mouth of two or three witnesses. But like a lot of people were like, did okay. saw him what? Oh, I guess they all like lied. And <laughs> yes, they couldn't get nobody to agree. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Okay. Um. So this is probably going to be really chopped up because I don't know how to ask it. So this is John 12, verse 23, we're starting at 23. Um, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it until life eternal. And I just wasn't sure if all of that portion of it, I guess, is correlated. Like, is it saying that if you die to yourself, then you'd be fruitful? Like how this wheat of corn died, and then it made fruit, I guess. So is that like what it's saying? That's what it's saying. Oh, well, look at me. I understand this stuff. I guess that's it. Mm-hmm. Anybody else behind you? Um, I looked up the words Messiah and Christ, which just says anointed or anointed one. So. How did they view, I mean, I know that they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but what identity did they expect the Messiah to have? And um, also, like Satan, because he came at him, I guess, knowing that he was the Messiah. But what did that mean to him? Did that mean that he was the son of God? Did that mean that he was... um, God, or did that just mean, did that mean something else, just anointed? Um, it means an entire range, and, and that's was something that's is tough. You have to track it all the way through, because one thing, when you're reading through what we call your Old Testament, there's no one verse that says the Messiah is going to be, or the Messiah is going to do, but you have these promises and these hopes in this anticipation of one that's to come. And the word Messiah or anointed one is, is what got attached to that. So when you read in, in Genesis and it talked about the star, the scepter of David, the lion from the tribe of Judah, it keep pushing this person all the way up. And so all these pictures begin to be put together to form this identity of what they refer to as the Messiah. And they get the anointed one from Psalms, Psalms chapter two in, um, Isaiah when it talks about the one being anointed so that's how they attached Messiah to it and it just became the picture of a savior a one to come to deliver and that just became the identity of it so Messiah became anonymous with savior one that comes to rule because it was originally attached to the kings and the prophets so when the people sinned the prophets came to call them to repentance when the people got in captivity God raised up a great king to leave them out so deliverance and, and, and hope for Israel got attached to the name. But what happened is throughout the years of studying, especially when you're going through that, what we call the silent period, people begin to wrestle with these scriptures. And so they develop a couple ideas of Messiah. There was this hope of deliverance and freedom from bondage. And there was this also this hope of the coming kingdom because Messiah was a king. He was a prince. The government was going to be on his shoulder. His kingdom, there's not going to be any end. So they attached all these scriptures together. So what they began to anticipate was a great ruler like David to come back, to take over, to vanish all our enemies and to set up this great kingdom and restore us back to God. But they also had this picture of this one that some of the rabbis refer to as Messiah ben Joseph. And that's when they wrestle with the scriptures in Psalms 22 and they wrestle with Isaiah 52 and 53 and they try to understand those. So that you, if you read in old literature, you got two messiahs. You've got Messiah, deliverer, the king, and you got this other dude, 
who is lowly, who is humble, who's going to go through suffering and pain, all because we messed up. So both of those grew in anticipation, but the great hope or the big deal for Messiah was to, to be king, and we see glimpses of that in the gospel. When the disciples ask Jesus, oh, when are you going to set up your kingdom? And the parents come, and when you set up your kingdom, who going to sit on your right hand and who on your left hand? So they was anticipating this this big event where Jesus come and just kill all the Romans and raise up all the Jews and he just take over everything. That makes a little sense to you, but a clear picture they didn't have because you got this thing spread out over thousands of years where God is giving glimpses and it, you have to put all those pictures together to truly understand. Because like I said, there ain't no one verse you can say, oh, this is what Messiah going to be. But you got a whole bunch of them, a whole bunch of different prophets talking at different times in different contexts, giving you different pictures. Got one more? I guess I could have looked at the chapter, my bad. It's John 12 still. Um, Verse 35, I guess that's where I started. 12, 35. Mm -hmm. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walks in darkness knows not whether he goes. While you have light, believe in the light, believe in the light. Did I write that twice? I don't even know. That you may be in the children of light. And then that's really where I want to stop it. Well, these things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. But anyways, so Jesus is the light. And he's talking by himself, I believe. And he's all like, I'm just going to be with y'all for a little while longer. So y'all need to walk while y'all have me or believe in me while y'all have me. And then is it saying like, okay, so since he's leaving, so you have to continue to believe so that you can be children of the light, so you can have the light forever. Say that again. Is he saying, like in verse 36, it said, believe in the light that you may be the children of the light. So if you're the children of the light since he's leaving, then you can still have the light. So you can still have the light. Yes. You not only is the light walking with you now, you now you're a child of the light. You're a light child. I'm a light child. <laughs> it's lit. Yes, you're lit. I'm you're lit. a child of the light. Okay. That's it. Let <laughs> the baby get it in. All right, they all yours, apostle. <laughs>